Praise God. Praise God. If you would all stand tonight and honor the word. It's an awesome word. It's the word of the one and only living God. Amen. Sometimes I think just how we forget how powerful the word of God is. The Bible says it's sharper and quicker than any two edged sword. That's powerful. It's the most powerful thing that I own. And sometimes I forget about it. But I'm so thankful tonight that we have the word of God and we're going to read from it tonight. If you would turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. I want to give honor to Brother Hughes tonight and thank him for this opportunity. He is in travel heading to district conference. Let's keep him in our prayers and pray that God be with him. Luke chapter 17. Begin reading at verse 11. If you have it, say amen. Bible says, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God. Save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Tonight for a little while I want to talk to you on the subject. The difference in repairing and restoring. The difference of repairing and restoring. You may be seated. I find it amazing that God would take the time to heal these men who were lepers. The Bible says that they were outcasts. They were men that were just shunned for their disease that they had all over their body. But that Jesus would take the time just like he always does with so many that need him. So many that are in that time of need. Jesus says, I'm going to stop whatever I'm going to do. And I'm going to make sure that I take care of their need. And I find it amazing. It says, and one of them, not ten of them, not more decided to come and join along, but ten of them got healed. But the Bible says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he noticed something different about himself. He turned back with the mindset, I know I didn't just get this way by myself. I know that I didn't just think, hey, this might happen and it just took place. But something supernatural from this man is what caused me to change. I didn't do this on my own. I can think high and mighty of myself all that I want to. But no matter how highly I think of myself, I could not heal myself. And he said, I'm going to stop right here 
and turn back. And with a loud voice, I'm going to glorify this man. It says he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks and that he was a Samaritan. There was a man by the name of Chris Cole. He posted this. He said, we have a client who calls on us whenever she needs work done at her house. Recently, she called with the problem. She had an exterminator under the home who told her that she had a leak under her hall bathtub. And it had caused significant damage to the floor underneath her bath. She called her insurance company and then she called us. I sent one of my best carpenters under the house and confirmed what the exterminator had said. The toilet had leaked under the tile floor and had completely damaged the floor of the bathroom. Everything was going to have to come out. Now a tub and a shower combination is a big bath fixture. In fact, it's physically bigger than the space that it is in. There is no way, the guy said, there is no way that tub is coming out of that bathroom without either cutting it into pieces or taking it through the wall into the next room. Since the tub itself was undamaged, we opted for the ladder. Sometimes it's pretty easy to do. Meanwhile, the adjuster had sent his contractor out to see her, trying to get him the job to fix the bath. Problem for him is we have worked for her and her father several, several years. She trusts us and she wants us to fix the house for her, period. Oftentimes they are called preferred contractors. Why are they preferred? Because many of them will cut corners to save the insurance company money. Even if it means reducing the quality of the work that you need. Y'all got that. They bring in somebody in and saying, here, I want you to scope this out. And they're saying, well, we could we could probably get away with it here and we can probably get away with it here. But it's going to be less than perfect. It's not going to be restored. It's just going to have a quick little fix me up. It will get you by. Now, this is where the subject of restore versus repair comes in. He said, I wrote an estimate to restore the bath which included taking the tub through the wall into the bedroom next to it. That meant detaching and resetting an electric wire and outlet, taking down three studs, rolling up the carpet in the bedroom, taking down drywall and painting a small bedroom. No problem, right? That's a lot of work when the other guy was just going to do a quick little fix-me-up. But the adjuster had a fit. He wanted to know why we were going into the bedroom at all. Since it was undamaged from the leak, I told him that the tub had to go somewhere so we could replace the subfloor under it. He said he had been told the floor under the tub was undamaged. Now I'm wondering if my guy was wrong. So out I go to the house, camera in hand, and crawl under the house myself. Sure enough, the floor was just as my guy had said. I took photos and emailed them to the adjuster. He still didn't believe it and sent his contractor back out to confirm what I told him. Unbelievably, the contractor told him that thought the floor was damaged. It was not enough to worry about since it was under the tub 
and could not be seen. Uh, unless you go under the house, I said. He said, well, that's where it is. Generally, we don't worry about the floor underneath the tubs. I thought, well, then generally you rip off your customers. The client insisted on the proper work and the adjuster paid for it like he should have from the beginning. Now think this through with me. What if my client didn't have a contractor she could trust and instead trusted the contractor supplied by her insurance company? They would have repaired her bath and from the top it might have looked great. Then sometime in the future she would have put her house up for sale and some home inspector would have found that damage under the tub which would cost her way more in the long run. Instead, she had a contractor who was working for her and had her best interest at heart and restored her bathroom properly. The big idea to take with you here is the value is what you are insuring when you insure anything, be it a home, a car, or a life. And while you can repair something, and it may look fine, that doesn't necessarily restore the value that it previously had. How many of us fit this same description with our own spiritual lives? Perhaps we want somebody to take a look inside and say, would you dissect my heart and tell me what you think needs to be done? And we have a pastor who comes out and he looks at us and he he sees where we're at and he prayerfully considers everything that he's looking at. And he thinks about the predicaments that we're in and the world that we're living in and face each and every day. And he tells us, well, you're, you're proceeding right here. You're doing great right here. You're exceeding here. But there are some rough edges that through prayer you can work out. Through fasting, God can do something great in you. And you say, well, pastor, I think I'm going to have a second opinion. I think I'm going to have another contractor come out and look at it. I think I'm going to have somebody else tell me what they think's wrong or right in me. And they will continue until they find somebody that will tell them exactly what they want to hear. Is it the truth? And finally, after all of this, some people say, you know what? The man has already come. You didn't appreciate what that man told you. You didn't appreciate what he told you, how much it was going to cost. So God says, you know what? I'll do you one better. I know that my man has stepped in. He's viewed you. He's dissected you. He's told you, this is what I want you to do to change. This is where I'm looking to get you to. And you didn't accept that, but I'll do you one better. I'll come myself. I'll take of you myself. And maybe you can see that I'm telling the truth. That though there may be some things in our life that may look okay on the surface, but when somebody else gets down underneath it and says, hey, look, there's a difference of repairing this thing and restoring this thing. All, I could see somebody up in that bathtub deciding they were going to chill out in the floor coming out from underneath them. Because somebody didn't take the time to restore. Amen. The enemy has only his interest in mind. He begins to look himself and says, you know, I don't think it's going to take all of that work. If you just get a little fix or possibly not do anything at all, then you should be fine. 
in our minds we think, well, maybe I can live with it for a few more years. Maybe I can deal with it just a few more years and, and, and we'll get to that later. But no, the things like that need to be done. This lady insisted that her contractor do the work. So she calls in God himself and says, OK, God, my pastor has told me I need to make a change. The enemy says I don't need to do a thing. God, I trust your man and I trust you. Let's restore. The Bible says in Psalms 23 verses one through three, we all know it. It says the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That sounds pretty good to me. It sounds like my my man knows what he's talking about. He leads me beside the still waters. My man still sounds pretty good to me. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He doesn't just do a quick fix me up repair. Because my soul needs that every day. And you know what? Sometimes we try to repair our own heartaches and our own hurt feelings and our own bitterness. And it gets us nowhere because that's just a repair. But the Bible says he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for my namesake. For his namesake, not for my good, not for what I think it looks like, but what God's looking at. And he says, for my namesake, Jeremiah made mention of this. He talks about some clay that he had. The Bible says that he went down to the potter's house and there the potter did a work. And the Bible says that it was marred, it was spoiled, it was less than perfect. And the potter says that I just did a quick little repair and fixed it up where I thought it needed patched up. No, read it again, it says, and he made it again. He started back from the very beginning of it all and said, you know what? I could just do a quick little fix me up, but that's not what I'm about. I could just take you where you're presently at and say, here, I'll just fix this little problem that you have and you'll be done. No, he takes you back to the very beginning and he says, look, we're going to get this right. If I have to do it this Sunday, if I have to do it on Wednesday night and next Sunday, I'm going to continue to work with you. If I have to go back again and start from the beginning, we're going to go back and work at the very beginning. I'm going to continue to mold you. Yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, my hands are going to put pressure on you, put you in situations that may make you feel uncomfortable. But I'm going to do it until I get it right. I read the other day in Ecclesiastes where it says he makes everything beautiful in his time. In his time. I begin to think about the potter's wheel just a few days ago. And how if, if clay, if we are the clay, as the Bible says, that means we are that thing that is being molded. The only difference is the clay don't have a choice what the potter does to it. I have a choice what the potter does to me. And you know what? If his hands are on me and I'm fighting, I can do this myself. I can make something beautiful on my own. Guess what? What he is trying to create, 
is not going to be perfect. What he is trying to do is not going to work out because you're trying to move and make it beautiful on your own. And you know what? It's frustrating sometimes being on that potter's wheel. Because you know what? That that wheel spins and spins. And in your mind, this is the battle that you're facing. This is the promise you're trying to get to. And you're facing this battle, but God, boy, he'll turn you around and let you see that promise. And you get excited. But guess what? Monday comes around and you're back at your problem. Wednesday night, you get to see your promise again for a little bit. But Thursday morning, you wake up and reality hits and you're back to your problem. Spinning on that wheel gets frustrating. Seeing the same thing over and over and over again gets frustrating. But the moment you stop and say, okay, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. If that clay was to sit still and just know that it was in the potter's hands, it would be perfect. It wouldn't fight against what God was trying to do. Even the problems that it saw every now and then, it can just say, okay, I know there's a problem before me, but guess what? I know that there's a promise waiting on me. Be still and know that I am God. Have you ever felt like a complete failure? You had good intentions, but you just didn't measure up or have done something really wrong and it, you just didn't know how to make the thing right again. Maybe you had a fight with your friend. Maybe you lied or took something that did not belong to you. You felt the overwhelming weight of the guilt and shame of your transgressions. But what could you do? How could you restore your relationship again? Peter was in this very position. Jesus had been arrested. Peter was sitting with Jesus when Jesus told him, Tonight you will deny me. Three times, three times you will deny me, Peter. And he said, no, Lord, I'll never deny you. He loved Jesus and was feeling the shame of denying the one who loved him more than even life itself. He could not fathom how he could have done what he did when he denied him three times. He didn't know what to do. And to think of what was going on in his mind after seeing him die on a cross and thinking that that's how it ended. It ended with me denying him. His life ended with a wedge between us that I put there. And now I can't fix it because he's dead. But lo and behold, Jesus died on the cross and three days later rose again. But look in the scriptures. I find it amazing. In Mark chapter 16. Mark 16 verse 16. Or verse 4. I'm sorry. Verse 3. And when the Sabbath was passed. Mary Magdalene. And Mary the mother of James and Salome. Had bought sweet spices. That they might come and anoint him. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. 
Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, am I wrong or was was Peter one of his disciples? He says, go tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. Go tell the disciples and Peter. What do you mean? I mean, let Peter know that even when he denies my name, I remember his. I don't care what you've done in your past, Peter. I don't care who you used to be. I don't care that there have been days where you have forgotten me. I remember you. And I know right where you are. Peter was filled with hope of repairing his relationship with Jesus. But he didn't know how to make it up to Jesus. How could the relationship between Peter and Jesus be repaired? But while Peter was anticipating repairs, Jesus had restoration on his mind. Jesus forgave and restored Peter and passed on to Peter the leadership of the church. Even though Peter failed, we see that Jesus still had a plan for his life. And he went on to be an incredible leader in the church. To get Peter's attention, Jesus again asked Peter, Later on, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter would now declare his love for Jesus three times. And repairing and restoring the three times That he denied God. He was restored because God said, you know what? I'm going to take the time and make sure that things are right for your sake, Peter. Because I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. Don't battle it in your mind any longer. It's all going to be okay. Don't worry about what you did yesterday. I am risen. I am here to take care of all of your problems. It's all going to be all right. It's easy to repair. All it takes is a little bit of duct tape and you're good to go. But contrary to some people's thinking, duct tape can't fix everything. (gasps) Some people don't like that. Sure, it may hold for a little while. It may get a quick fix to your permanent situation. But there are some things that need more than just a repair. Some things need complete Restoration. Repairing is going to cost you something. But he has already paid for restoration. Why would we not want to accept the offer that he has? We could settle for a cheap repair that we're going to have to pay a price for. But why in the world would we do that when he says, I've paid for things to be restored. I've paid for things to be brought back to its original condition. Brand New. If we're just looking for a casual fix me up, just a light patch here and there, it's going to cost us a lot more than we anticipate. 
like the lady in the story, it was going to cost her more in the long run. Sure, it seems cheaper now, but why not completely restore if it's not going to cost you anything? I cannot understand why someone would have the option of restoration, but choose just to have a light fix that would cost them everything. God, I understand I have cancer, and while I know the doctors can remove most of it and repair me, God, why not restore me? Why settle for less than perfect? When the question arises for so many, whether it's your car or yourself, or we will ask the question, well, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me? We're worried about the price that we're going to have to pay. Before anything is done, what's it going to cost me? Because we are already searching to see what's the least that we have to do, the least that we have to put out, the least that we have to give in, because we want to just let it be the cheapest, best, easiest way we can get it done and not worry about it. That's just who we are. People ask the question, is this a heaven or hell issue? It said time and time again, you heard them say it. Is this a heaven or hell issue? Is this a heaven or hell issue? And it's, they're simply saying, what's it going to cost me? What am I going to have to give in? What am I going to have to put down? What am I going to have to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore? What's it going to cost me? My de- Bible tells me in John, 1 John 2 and 15, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The Bible also says in James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. So if you know to do something is good and you're not doing it, the Bible says that that is sin. That's what the Bible says. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. God's word says that. We come into the house of God and he offers us a clean start, a sound mind, a pure heart. And we ask God, what's it going to cost me? God says, I'm willing to do all of this for you. Well, God, what's it going to cost me first? Before I lay down my life and make this kind of commitment, I need to know what it's going to cost me. Because God, I can't live the way that my pastor wants me to live it it, because it might cost me too much i can't afford to give up some things god i just I, i can't afford to well some of us can't afford not to repairing is temporary restoring is being made completely new the difference in repairing and restoration could be eternity Sure, your car may make it to Dallas and back. Sure, you may get it home from the shop. But what would it be like if you could afford restoration? There are so many people out there who settle for the old phone or computer camera who buy items they call refurbished. I've done it. It's a cheaper way of getting something that's virtually brand new to some people. But the word refurbish means to freshen up its appearance. To make it look a little appealing. Maybe it had a little scratch here and we cleaned it up and guess what? It's brand new. 
we fixed it up and it's brand new for you. It's cheaper than buying it brand new, but they don't realize it's still the same broken phone that was sent in by someone else. They just did some cosmetic work on the casing and possibly repaired some of the things on the inside. But it's still the same phone. It's still the same camera that was broken down and scratched. A lot of people out there are settling for cheap church, cheap teaching and preaching, cheap worship, because it doesn't cost them near as much or so they think. Just come and go, sit back and relax and watch the show. Watch the praise singers as they get up there and do their performance. Watch the preacher as he runs up and down, screaming, sweating, tears falling from his eyes. What a show it is every weekend. You should come and see it. And people come and sit down and watch and drink their Diet Coke and just enjoy the show while it's all going down. But they don't participate. They don't say, where can I get involved? God, what can I do? What, what, I'm not worried about what it's going to cost me. I'm wanting to know what can I put in? What can I give to this? Because this, if this is my church, if this is my pastor and my praise team and my Sunday school, what can I give to make sure that it's the best? Because you know what? I can point fingers all day long at what I think I, it should be like. And I think it should be like this. And I think it should be like this. But until I'm willing to step in and do something about it, until I'm willing to say, I will do something, I, where can I be placed? What can I do, God? What can I put in? I'm not worried about the cost. I'm not worried about what it's going to cost me. God, I, I just want to be restored. They want a commitment-free relationship with God. They're scared of commitment. The world has these things they call players. They just... Have somebody on the side here and somebody on the side here and somebody on the side here. And the world calls them players. But you know what? God's not looking for somebody like that. The Bible says that he is a jealous God. He is looking for you to be completely sold out to him and say, God, I know that there are other things out in this world that I could be doing tonight. But God, on a Wednesday night, though I may be tired, though I may be sick. God, I want it to be in your presence where I know you can do a work where, God, the things that's been going on all week long, God, you can restore and make it new and make it right. Romans says, what shall separate you from the love of Jesus? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And guess what it does? It doesn't cost me anything. He paid it all. He Paid it all. I was at a service a while back and Brother Shoemake and his wife were there and she was singing. And at the end, they asked him to come up and speak. And 
He just walks up there, no Bible, no iPad, no computer, no notes. One of these days, one of these days. He gets up there and he just begins to talk to the people. And it was one of those services where, you know, sometimes when a preacher says something good, the people clap and say amen. But the things that were coming out of his mouth was things that just left you in awe. But just thinking about the goodness of God and all that he has done and just silence. But there was such a spirit of worship, even though there was nothing coming out. Because it was the hearts. It was moving the hearts. It was turning some things around in people and tears were falling. But it was silent praise. And he begins to tell the story of he bought this car. A buddy of his called and said, hey, I got this car and it's a 60-something Chevy. It looks just like the one that you used to have. He said, I've got to have it. I've got to have it. So he went and got all his money together and he goes and buys this car. And he said, boy, it was in bad shape. It was in bad shape. But I wanted this car so bad. I went and paid a price for it. And he said, and I probably paid more for this piece of junk than I did for the car when I bought it brand new in the 60s. He said, and I paid a price for this piece of junk car. He said, and it sat there in my driveway. And it sat there in my driveway. Kind of moved it out in the yard, out of the driveway for a bit because my wife was upset with me. And he said, and it sat in my yard and it sat in my yard. And finally, my wife said, if you don't get that out of here, I'm selling it tomorrow. So he said, all right, well, I guess I better do something. So he gets on the phone and he calls a buddy and he says, I'm wanting to fix this thing up. And I want it to look just like mine did when I bought it brand new. What's it going to cost me? So he said, well, bring it in and I'll look at it. Well, after he got the quote back, he said, he said, now, this guy was my best friend, mind you. So he was going to give me a fair price. He said, you can try going elsewhere, he said, but you know, I'm your friend and I'm going to do you right. He said, but you're looking at anywhere from 70 to 100 thousand dollars to restore this thing. And he said, oh, yep, got to sell it. He said, I called somebody the next day and got rid of the thing. He said, but when I did, he said, immediately the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, the price that I paid to create you was not near the price I paid to restore you. And again, just that silent. And it spoke to me in such a way. Because the price that God paid in the beginning when he created us was not near the price that he had to pay on Mount Calvary. To restore us. To make us new. The Bible says he makes all things new. Fresh. The very, very beginning. The start. He takes it all back and he makes it again. He makes it new. What a promise that when life throws us curveballs. And we just get frustrated and want to throw in the towel. And when life literally beats us up on a day-to-day basis, and we say, look at me, I'm a mess. He says, well, let me make you new. Let me fix you. Man, you have leprosy, let me heal you. But you know what? It goes beyond just that repair. 
it goes beyond just a repair. If you'll stand with me. In our text, there were ten lepers in the Bible that came to Jesus asking to be healed. Repaired, if you will. They said, look, we are in bad shape, and if we don't fix ourselves, we're never going to get anywhere. We're just going to die as vagabonds. But Jesus, being the loving, merciful God that he was, and still is, granted their desires and heard their petitions, and he healed them of their disease. Just like he does and will always do. They left thinking that they had received the greatest thing ever. And rightfully so. These men were treated like outcasts and rejects. They had to sit outside of the city while everybody else was having fun. It would be as if we all came in here to have church, but there were some unwanted people that had to sit outside and just wish that they could be in here in the presence of God. And these men were just looking, looking for a healing, looking for a special touch from God. And they came to the right place. And what an awesome feeling when these men who were lepers who had this disease, who had been rejected their whole lives, when Jesus said, you're healed, and they looked down, I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. And they could run into the church. They could run into the city. They can go into a place where everybody else was and feel accepted and wanted and loved. They were so excited because God had just done something great in them. And they ran and they shouted and they were, boy, they were pumped. Part of me can't blame them. If I had fought that disease for so long and it just all of a sudden happened, boy, I don't know what I'd do. I don't know what I would do. It would be like David who said, I was glad unto me when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Those men that were now, hey, let's go into the city. They finally had that opportunity. Boy, they probably had a leap inside of them. We have been repaired. We're fixed. We can go somewhere. We can do something. But no, there was one. There was one. The others were now given a chance to show the world who they really are. They had an opportunity to tell everyone what it's like to be a leper and for God to heal them. The spotlight would now be on them and they can tell everybody, I was a leper and God healed me. They could testify to that. But one said, Master... How can I go stand in the spotlight when it's you who has done this deed? Not me. I didn't do this for myself, but you did. How can I call myself healed when even though my leprosy has vanished, I'm not complete? 
Perhaps there was something in his soul. Though I may be all right on the outside. Though I may seem okay when I come to church with a smile on my face. But what hurt and bitterness is tucked away underneath. That I can't let anybody else see. And perhaps that's what held him there when the others ran off in excitement. Is perhaps he felt like there was still something deep down inside of his heart and said, God, before I run off and leave, I want to make sure that I'm right. I want to make sure that I'm made whole. I want to make sure that you get down into the deepest of my thoughts and my heart. And I want you to make me new. I don't want to go one more step without seeming grateful. So, Father, I say thank you for repairing me. A low life, a nobody, a sinner. Thank you, God. Jesus responds, where where there are not ten of you, where are the other nine? Oh, they're, they're out celebrating the work that you did. They had marks and scars and wounds that life had given them. And now the world can't see that they were lepers. Jesus looks at the one and says, but did they not understand that the work was not finished? They left healed. But because of your humble spirit and because of your thankfulness, you will leave made whole. Jesus, what are you saying? I'm saying don't leave repaired. Leave restored. Don't leave just because you have declared healed, be made whole. Don't quit living for God just because the preacher told you that you have been saved by grace. But keep living in his salvation each and every single day. Be that one that says, God, before I leave this place tonight, God, I want to lift my hands and I want to praise you. God, I want to thank you, Lord, for healing me. God, I want to thank you, God, for saving me. God, I don't want to seem ungrateful. God, there may be something deep down that I don't know about. God, that's been tucked away for years. God, I've swept over it time and time again. God, and I can repair some things in my life tonight. God, but before I leave your presence, before I go anywhere else, God, I want to be restored tonight. God, would you get down into the deep roots of my heart? God, where only you can see. God, if there's anything wrong in my life. God, I repent tonight, God. Lord, I turn from my ways, Lord. God, I want to be made right tonight. Come on, greater life, humble yourself right now in the presence of God. Be the one that says, I don't want to go another step. Without being made whole. Without being restored. God, you make all things new, Lord. Lord, would you make me new tonight? God, would you cleanse me tonight, God?